Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This A's Cast download is brought to you by Link Soul. Go to linksoul.com and by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Go to nestbedding.com. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right, away back, goal! Go Hayes, it's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise, here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe, from humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, it's another beautiful Friday here in Oakland, California, as we'll be getting you ready for A's and the Astros. Game two of the four-game set coming your way up here at 640. You just changed me right out of the gate, Cody. Well, it's because you're in the red. Yeah, well, turn me up somehow. Figure it out. I just went like dead. There we go. We have a great show for you here on a Friday. Our buddy Jeff Blum from the Astros, but you know him more importantly as the World Series hero from the University of California, Berkeley. That's right. Played for Cal, took Cal to the World Series. He's going to join the College World Series and is a World Series hero with the Chicago White Sox. He's going to be here at 415. Zach Geloff. Our first one-on-one ever with Zach Geloff. We've had Geloff by phone. We've had him by video. We've never had him in person. He is going to join us today here in the treehouse. No, that's Cody, not Zach Geloff. Later, that will be Zach Geloff right there. Right there. Uh, off to an interesting start. We're starting to see the struggles with the young guys as adjustments are immediately made. And they've made the adjustments against these guys. We'll talk to Zach Geloff about that. But so far, so good. Like what I've seen. He's got size. He's got athleticism. He's got the ability to drive to drive the ball. We've seen him with that power to right center, which everybody talked about. He's also been able to pull the ball. Zach Geloff here at the treehouse. Once the gates are open, it's happy hour. You got to come see us. You got deals on food. You got deals on drinks. The deals on drinks are more important. We're going to have bingo for you, giving away prizes. The retro, because it's Italian Heritage Night, this is the retro 
Is that is it from Italian Heritage Night tonight? Yeah, that's what I've been that's what I've been told. Yes, Italian Heritage Night tonight here at the ballpark. Eno Saris, our baseball columnist, national baseball columnist from the Athletic, will be. Is he going to be here? Here in here. He'll be here. Yep. At five o'clock, and then of course it's a Friday. We have already sat down with the manager of the Oakland Athletics, who was either more interested in us or the opening day of the horse races down <laughs> in San Diego at Del Mar where the surf meets the turf. If you had to say, what was he more interested in? Was it doing the interview with me or the very first race of the day? I, I mean, I'm going to selfishly say it was us, but I can't. It was, or was, was the race. it the trifecta of the first race down in Del Mar today? Racing. Yeah, I'm going to have to go with the race. It had been a while since I heard a horse racing call. Live, live on the phone, we got to watch races from Del Mar with the manager of your Oakland Athletics. But we will talk to Mark, we'll talk to Mark Kotze coming up here at 5 o'clock. This is a day that's always special for us on this show because you know how much we love baseball. You know how much we love the history of the game. And this is the weekend where we truly celebrate the history of baseball. And when you think of the history of baseball, you cannot tell the history of baseball without talking about the Oakland Athletics. Without talking about the Philadelphia Athletics, I think we can kind of sneak by without mentioning Kansas City, but of course they are part of this organization's history. But Philadelphia to Kansas City to Oakland as it's Hall of Fame weekend. Behind us up here, you're going to see MLB Network is on and they have all their shows in Cooperstown. I'm just going to tell you, someone who's been there three times, and I've been, because of my grandfather having stuff there, I've been able to go down into the bowels. It's great. The curators, they're, they're like doctors. They have lab coats on. they got rubber gloves, and they'll break, because they have the bat and ball uh, for my grandfather's 2,000th hit, and they got some of his jerseys and stuff, and they bring them out to you. I was actually there. What year was that? Uh, the Mark, big Mark McGuire bat. Had just shown up. I mean, anything that happens in our game, they put the sticker on it, authenticate it, and poof, a lot of it goes off to Cooperstown. And that's the one thing about when you go there, you're going to go through a timeline of the history of baseball. And they have all these artifacts that are just incredible. And they constantly change. So you don't know exactly what you're going to see when you go to the Baseball Hall of Fame. I remember one of the times I went there and I was just looking at they had a bunch of the Yankees guys wives because back in the old days and my grandmother had them too from all-star games and the World Series that my grandfather played in we have them they're charm bracelets and they used to give away charms were World Series all-star games whatever and you'd see these charm bracelets of like Mickey Mantle's wife I mean it was just it was incredible Whitey Ford's wife and Cy Young's license plate, right? It's C, was he 511 wins? It yeah. was C. His license plate was C, 511Y. I mean, they have stuff. It's just not baseballs and bats and gloves. They have stuff that nobody else has. It's one of the great things about the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, another thing that I love about the Baseball Hall of Fame is you go upstairs and they have every single championship ring. And you get to see how the ring changes throughout the years, how small, you know, before, at first they didn't give out rings, they gave out watches. 
and then it gets to rings, and the rings are real small, and you get to gradually see the rings get bigger, but you get to see all the designs of all the different championship rings. It's that kind of stuff. Plus, when you go on the weekend like this, the ceremonies, it's free to the public. So when you're watching those players give the speeches, in the very front, you'll have the family, friends, and media, but behind that, everybody out on the grass, that's free. You can go. You could be there this week and this Sunday for Scott Rowland and Fred McGriff. It's free to the public. So it's not like all those people bought seats. No, it is free. And Hall of Fame weekend is incredible because Cooperstown, New York, is such a small little town with one main street that runs through it. It's all baseball. Uh, there's little inns and bed and breakfast. Uh, it's awesome. And the Hall of Famers literally are walking around. I tell the story all the time. In 1999, I was coming up a hill and coming around a sharp turn corner. I literally bumped into Tom Seaver. You were telling Jay Jaffe this yesterday, right? Yeah, I bumped. I ran into Tom Seaver. And you're like, holy, it's Tom Seaver. And then he just keeps walking. And he said hello, and I said hello. And he kept walking by. And you're like, and my brother was behind me, and my brother goes, that was Tom Seaver. Uh, yeah. Pete Rose always shacks up at the vet. So the hall's on, on one end of that street that I'm talking about, the one main street that runs through Cooperstown. I don't know if he's still doing it at his age now because Pete's got to be. He's 80, he's 80, 80 right? 82, 81, something uh, like that. Let's find out since I have my phone here. Blummer said he didn't see the intern yet, so he's still waiting. Um, Marcus walked over. I mean, what are these guys doing? Play, playing the grid? They got to do more than just play the grid. Pete Rose, 82. He's 82. So we went down and actually saw Pete, got his autograph. There was four of us, and we actually got to talk to Pete Rose. He was super cool. But that's the thing. You're, you're, I actually got to – he's no longer with us, but we sat outside the Baseball Hall of Fame the night before when they brought trolleys, each Hall of Famer they would bring up with their families – and they would get out and wave to the fans, and they'd go into that famous dinner. Well, Stan Musial got out and played uh, the harmonica for the crowd. And then Stan would always play the harmonica at that dinner, and he'd also play it at the bar at the, uh, what the hell is it called, Old Swaga or whatever it's called, the inn right there that's on the golf course. That's right on the, it's like a little, little mini Lake Tahoe. And it's the, fa- look at the inn, what it's called. And it's right there on the lake, and there's a golf course there. But, yeah, I got to see Stan Musial play the harmonica, and he's no longer with, with us. He was famous for that. But you get to see all of this stuff when you go on Hall of Fame weekend. I've seen Ricky Henderson there. I, the th- my favorite thing about Stan Musial is the same, amount number, same number of hits on the road as he did at, had, had at home. Call it consistency. Yeah, he was a good, very good hitter, proud of Pennsylvania. Yeah, Stan Musial, truly one of the greats. But if you ever get a chance, I say go at any time. Anytime you, a lot of people are now going because just outside of Cooperstown, they built the baseball fields where you have a lot of the people are taking their little league teams and you're taking teams out there to play. Uh, and a lot of families are getting to go do these baseball tournaments and then they go into town and go to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, I'm sure our next guest has some things that are in the Baseball Hall of Fame. He's a, I'd put him in the Baseball Hall of Fame. I'm uh, sure he's got to be in the Cal Hall of Fame. Well, well, I'm letting our intern know that he, he really messed up because Blummer's here. Uh, he, Blummer came without the yeah. – Blummer doesn't need an intern. Uh, he needs the escort. I mean, he, he's an East Bay legend. Come on, come on. The great Jeff Blum joins us. 
You don't need some intern to get you around here. You're like royalty well, around here. I've got like a baseball clock. If I'm five minutes too early, it's too late. Oh, yeah. If you're not early, no. you're late. No, and I, now, love, I love the treehouse, by the way. I've been here a couple of times. It's awesome. And we filmed a couple of things up here like our, for our open. I love this place. So years ago. Can you tell I'm out of breath? Huh? I'm out of breath. What happened to you? You were me? a primetime athlete back in the day. Middle infielder. That was years ago. I yeah. mean, the pride of Cal playing in the College <laughs> yeah, World don't Series. Yeah, tell anybody, huh? You can't even walk over to the treehouse. <laughs> uh, I'm exposed. This was back when they built Mount Davis. This was just a generic bar for Raider games. Okay. And then when the Raiders decided to leave, we decided, you know, let's make a, an area. And before COVID, I always did the – pregame show right here where we are oh, now no i did every single game and fans would come up and it was every game and then covid closed everything down and now we've kind of reopened it back up and this is where we do happy hour i'm mean, outstanding i, I mean if, good you, call. if you weren't on the air i'd buy a drink or two or What's, three I mean, why did be on it well on air may stop you just saying load them up <laughs> it's gonna be a fun astros broadcast tonight Hey, uh, uh, reading in my notes, and I keep thinking to myself, yep. it is hard to believe that I'm looking at where the Astros are only four games back, and Altuve and Jordan Alvarez have not even played really with each other all year long. Is that not amazing? 13 games they've played total together. What's unfortunate about that number is six of those 13 times have been against the Oakland A's, oddly enough, and that was something that we pulled out the other day, but it is kind of crazy, and I don't know – are you more surprised that the Rangers haven't taken off like they have, or are you as surprised to see the Astros still in contention even though they don't have those guys? I'm more surprised they're only four games out knowing how good Texas has been. Mm -hmm. We saw France yesterday. He was fabulous, knowing that he came up for Urquidy. Yeah. And I started looking at the names. These are big-time names that have been out. Obviously, the World Baseball Classic. Uh, and the injury there to Altuve. Mm -hmm. You had a lot of guys in the baseball classic. I think we all know it's awesome for our game. It's super exciting. But guys are tired by the midseason after they've gotten early ready. A lot of people don't want to talk about that. but Well, well we all talk, you talk about the A's injuries. I talk about the Astros injuries. We just got done in Colorado. Bud Black's talking about their injuries. And I don't know if it's because it's a WBC season, but – if you look across the league, there are a lot of teams that have been beat up, and it feels like the teams that are playing well are the ones who are actually able to stay healthy. And I know the Rangers lost to Grom. They probably would have been a little bit better with him, but they've been relatively healthy as far as their starting rotation is concerned. They need a little bit on the back end of their bullpen, just picking up a role as Chapman, but I don't know how much faith you can have in Will Smith and Josh Spohr is kind of getting exposed here a little bit lately. But uh, it does feel like some of those injuries are mounting up. And one guy that we don't talk about, or at least maybe we haven't talked about, Lance McCullers Jr. Is on, has yeah. been on the shelf for the, the entire season and will be well into next season. So the fact that this pitching staff with J.P. France, Brandon Belak, Ronell Blanco, um, there's, there's other guys in there that have been mixed in, but they've been able to just be serviceable. J.P. France has been fantastic on the road. I think a minimum of 70 innings. He's got a 2.0-something ERA, lowest in Major League Baseball. So you need those guys to kind of overachieve or be able to place themselves in that rotation until Urquidy can come back or until they go make that trade to go get a, a starter. But when they get the offense back, that's going to be a lot of fun. Here is my question for everybody, as obviously – we're one of the sellers, and I talked to David Force, our general manager, about this because mm -hmm. our players are not the players you want with your A selection, your B selection. We're more in the C or D, so I think I, even though Fuji just got traded to yep. Baltimore, 
I really do think last day when you've lost out, now I'm calling the A's because I need to make some type of deal. That's yep. when I think our players are going to go. But we can all sit here. Red Sox are just in town. Mm-hmm. You guys are now in town. I mean, we're going to have the Giants coming up, and everybody's going to say, well, you know, if we add this, there's where are you going to go get these guys? Because there's not that many sellers, and the sellers, if you're not Chicago, if you're not St. Louis, I don't know where the Padres going to become. There's not a lot of players who have teams to sell you. Yeah, and that's why you keep hearing names like Marcus Stroman and uh, Cody Bellinger yeah, in Cubs Chicago. Are one, yeah. um, but one name that I keep hearing with the Astros is Michael Lorenzen, who's dealing right now. His trade value is probably skyrocketing at this moment because he's pitching so well. But I think the idea for the Astros is it's going to be pitching because if you're getting a Jordan Alvarez back, if you're getting a Jose Altuve back, you look pretty good as far as offense if you're making quote-unquote acquisitions and you're getting them from within. You don't have to make a move for them, and they're healthy. They're gonna, your offense is going to get substantially better. But how do, you, how do you protect your bullpen, and how do you extend your rotation a little bit? You've got to go out and find a guy like Michael Lorenz. And I know Brady Singer, another can, uh, Kansas City Royal guy, that keeps talking, being talked about. His numbers aren't that great, but it feels like he's got the stuff that you can kind of maybe coach up a little bit and make him good for your rotation. That's another name that's out there, but it's going to be very interesting, especially for the Houston Astros. If you if if you haven't paid attention to prospect lists or the top 100 that we keep hearing on MLB Pipeline, the Astros don't have any guys in that in that top 100, so to speak. You've got the Corey Lee's, a catcher in AAA, has got big league time. You know, you keep hearing Chaz McCormick, Jake Myers, some of these big league talent. But as far as getting deep into the system, it's going to be hard to go out and find a package to put together to be able to get back what you actually need. That's what I, w- I find interesting. I hear Lorenzen and Singer, and that's not as sexy as Verlander and Cole. No. <laughs> you guys Cranky used to guy. go get the like the, <laughs> the hottest model on the runway. Yep. Those were the days. Right? Those were the days. I mean, you had me at Verlander, Lorenzen. We know Lorenzen. You have – I mean, I, I know you've been around a while, but there were – those two years when we picked up, you know, in 2017, you're going, okay, this team's pretty good. Then you yeah. kind of – we got on a flight coming back, I think, from Seattle. Uh, or No, we were actually in Tampa playing because of Hurricane Harvey, and we were coming back, and we're like, man, everybody keeps talking about Justin Verlander, the Astros. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. And you start hitting everybody, go, man, that'd be great. Man, yeah. Can you imagine calling one of his games? And sure enough, we land the plane, and we've got Cameron Mabin and Justin Verlander coming over, and we were just like, holy crap, this is it's going to happen. And they started to play really good baseball. We got to call one of his no-hitters. And then Garrett Cole, we get to call some of his games. And, I mean, you talk about having a blast. I mean, it's just sit back, enjoy, watch what these guys are able to do. But I think those days are gone <laughs> in this organization. It's a different ball game when <laughs> Verlander gets on the plane, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you want to turn some heads. You start. I mean, you go into some ballparks, you know, early, early on, 15, 16, 17, and you're like, oh, hey, Altuve, Bregman. You know, Carlos Correa and George Springer, they're kind of big guys, and they garner some attention. But when you put a you put an ace like that in a rotation and yeah. he steps off the plane or walks into a ballpark, all of a sudden everybody kind of straightens up and looks over and goes, oh, damn, here they come. You know, and maybe I don't know if that guy's out there this year. You know, I the one thing, though, that is good for baseball, and it's, you know, getting the two Texas teams in the American League, getting them good at the same time, yeah. can kind of mean something because we know that we're not that far away that you're going to wake up in the morning and the Dallas Morning News and it's Cowboys, 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 back page, <laughs> yeah. high school football, high school football, back page Rangers. Line. So if the Rangers are not relevant by the time training camp hits, Ooh. no one even cares. But 
I got, and even Houston. Houston's huge in football. Texas A&M. You got mm-hmm. the Texans. Uh, University of Houston's been good in football. So all of a sudden, I start TCU. I mean, yeah, you start Baylor. thinking. You start thinking about it like baseball in Texas. Is this the year we're finally going to see Rangers Astros? It means something, and now the rivalry is on. Yeah, and, you know, moving from California to Texas, now trying to understand, absorb all, all everything that you're talking about because on the outside looking in, you're like, okay, they love football, big deal, but they've got the Astros. They've got good baseball teams. They've got pretty good basketball teams in both of those arenas, and then you got San Antonio Spurs, and you're like, there's other stuff going on, but you're exactly right. As soon as that calendar turns and you get into training camps and you start looking forward to football season, all of a sudden you get dwarfed. You kind of get pushed out a little bit. Fortunately for us down in Houston, the Texans have been awful, yeah, and they have been an organization that's just kind of run amok a little bit, so all the focus has kind of shifted to the Astros in good and bad ways, but they've been winning, so they've kind of stolen a lot of the thunder of the, of the football season. But if you can have two winning teams, if you can have a division leader and a wild card coming out of the West in Texas, I think that would be huge for the state of Texas. And all of a sudden, you do get a lot more eyes, and you can kind of push those other teams back on the back burner a little bit. Okay, you hear about it, and I know they had Friday Night Lights, but, you know, when you live <laughs> in California, you go, is it really that true? It wasn't until I started traveling with the Raiders – and you start going around, and I remember when we played the Texans, that was a few years ago, mm-hmm. like high school football oh, pushes man. everything to the side. Like, it, it doesn't matter. High school football is the same thing in Florida, anywhere in the southeast. High school football is king. It, it, it's hard to believe, but it is king. This is going to sound terrible, especially considering the stadium situation that the Oakland A's are in and this community because – We moved out to Texas, and we live in a community, a suburb of Texas called Katy, and they were in the process of building a new district stadium, and they had to pass a bill that would would raise $70 million. It passed on the first vote. It wasn't even like, oh, let's think about it. Where are we going to get this money? Are people really going to be involved? Dude, it was like, where do I sign? These people signed up, and now there's a $70 million stadium with suites, a club level, season tickets for for Katy ISD. So that gives you an idea of so what who's football playing means. There, Every, well, I think there's there's either ten or twelve KDISD teams right now, and they rotate who gets to play there every Friday. So you know, so the high would, school area, t- they will all get to go play at that That's stadium. That's badass. They have they have a big screen, they have like a jumbotron, and I mean, I. It, Games are streaming. I can watch a game on my phone if I wanted to, but they will show instant replays of great catches or great plays up on the big screen in the middle of a high school football game. So the game of the week in Katy, Texas. Oh man, you're playing in this seventy oh, yeah. million dollar stadium. Oh yeah, and they and they have the LEDs on the outside. Seventy million. <laughs> they voted for it, and they got it. That's not asking everybody else in grants. That's $70 million from the taxpayers for high school football. Yeah, go for it. And wow. then, I mean, the LEDs are on the outside, so it'll light up your team, your school colors many, and stuff. What, what's the, what, what can you get in there? Attendance. I think there's about 15,000, 15,000, 20,000, yeah. That takes me back to my high school yeah. football days. I'd love that. Could you imagine playing with that kind of energy? And it's on television, oh, too. Oh, yeah. Every, oh, and like you said, there's sideline reporters. I know it, <laughs> I know our network, you know, I think we're still called the AT&T Sportsnet, but I think they actually they have sideline reporters. They're covering this, and they have a weekly show, a magazine show every week about high school football. Not to get it too much into the business of baseball, but baseball has taken over the Padres. They're taking yeah. over the Diamondbacks. Uh, I just heard from Ryan Spielborgs that – 
Mm. AT&T Sportsnet will no longer do the Rockies after this season. Yeah, we were just up there, heard the same. What's good? Are you guys? We're, do you know? We're, I mean, you know, but you don't know, kind of thing. Yeah. You have an idea. We there's all kinds of rumors going around. We're going to be in a we're going to be in a pretty good situation, I think, because you know we don't have several different organizations that we've got to try and pull together. It's just us and the Rockets are the only two on AT and T Sportsnet. And I know that the way that uh, things are starting to shake out a little bit, it looks like it would be beneficial. Not short term, but long term for for the Astros to buy the the network yeah. and run it themselves. It's just you know what do you it, the logistical nightmare of trying to transfer all that over, but the the content. How do you fill that much content? Because maybe their idea is to fill twenty four seven Rockets Astros. I don't know what that is, but at the same time, the one thing I think that makes it appealing is that uh, carriage rights in uh, for that network or whoever carries Astros Rockets is good through 2035. And that's why I say long-term, you might be able to sign that contract, kind of find find your way in the next two or three years, and then really start to create content. Because you know your coverage is going to be out there for the next nine years. Well, it's one of the reasons why we've told everybody why streaming and A's cast. Yeah. And we're, start, yeah. we're already starting to see with the streaming and the San Diego Padres, they have a much bigger mm-hmm. audience than they've ever had. So it's like this is – as much as we love our cable friends at NBC, and I like working over at NBC, but, I mean, this really is the future of how you're going to watch. It, it's funny you say that because of A's cast. I don't know how many other teams are doing it around the league, if any, but when I go to other places and they know I've been on this, they ask me all about it. I mean, obviously I know a little bit, but I know that what you guys are doing is being watched, maybe as, a, maybe as an example of what could possibly be. Did you ever think on the road people would ask you about A's cast? I, I mean, about you, no. About the A's, maybe. A's I'm just cast, kidding, dude. Though. A's, A's cast. cast. Yeah, but I mean, that's. But isn't that how it works? Isn't that yeah. how it functions? Is trying to get ahead of that curve a little bit. And you're in a tough situation here. You've got a team in flux. How do you create content? And how do you create energy around a team to get eyes on you? Put up an iPad, put up a, a webcam, and see what you can do because you're putting together great content. You're able to go out and get great guests. I know that you're getting uh, Eno Saris later on. You're getting Mark Kotze. I mean, there's yeah. some people that you actually want to tune in and listen to. Eno's one of those guys. If you're watching baseball, you need to be reading what he's writing. Mm-hmm. You need to be talking to him because he does a very good job of trying to break down baseball and give a little more information than maybe you or I could give. Yeah, uh, we don't go into it all the time but our downloads are so significant it blows attendance away that's so outstanding it's like, it's like, <laughs> but you got to provide thank all of you we well, thank all of you it's kind of similar to that model down in tampa bay you know they don't draw at their ballpark nobody's going down to the trop to watch a game it's terrible but what do they do they watch their television broadcast and their their broadcast numbers their ratings are off the charts yeah their tv because they do like like here everybody loves the a's but maybe they don't want to come to this ballpark. But so that's why they're tuning into you guys to get more info and really stay in touch. When you think about your run with Chicago winning the World Series, mm-hmm. adding sometimes adding doesn't always help, yeah. right? Sometimes it can mess with the whatever you got, whatever. Because baseball people don't want to talk about chemistry, but whatever that's it is, noise. I've heard the technical term is noise. Whatever you got in the <laughs> clubhouse that's working, but just. Take us through, like, these are the dog days, right? Mm-hmm. We're looking at the map. We're looking at the weather every day. We got weathermen going, oh, my God, it's so hot. Like, it's <laughs> it's hot. You're yeah. playing in Chicago. It's humid. It's like, like, these are the dog days of summer right here. Just talk about this stretch and what adding 
means to a club like the White Sox back in the day when you guys were going for the World Series. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, and you talk about the dog days, and that's part of the reason I went to Chicago is because I had experience playing against Ozzie Guillen. Uh, he was my third base coach in Montreal, which a lot of people didn't know when Jeff Torborg took over for uh, Felipe Alou. That's going back. That's going way back. That's 2000, 2001. Mon- and Montreal, best city ever to play in? If that got back in the rotation, I would not be upset. Yeah, everybody at all. goes, forget yeah. Vegas. I was going to, well, yeah. yeah <laughs> Montreal that's the French the... version of Vegas, and I'll just leave it at that. A little European vacation, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, so I, I had experience with Ozzie Guillen, and they had Joe Creedy, whose back was ailing him a little bit. They had uh, Paul Konerko, was maybe a little bit older, and his back was ailing. So that's what you're talking about. You get into the middle of August. Things start to heat up, you're exhausted, you're pushing for a pennant, and you need guys that are going to come in there and be able to provide relief and really not, you know, just kind of be a Band-Aid on the situation, not be like a sharp drop-off where you've got to bring up a guy from A-ball, double-A, and put him at first base to protect Paul Konerko. You can go around the league and pluck some of these parts. You know, a Jace Peterson or some of these guys, you know, a Ledmus Diaz for, for years with us was that guy that we were able to plug in at second base, shortstop, in relief of Altuve and Correa, Bregman, and just give him a couple days of a breather to get them to a chance to reboot a little bit and get their legs back under them and that's kind of the situation I found myself in in Chicago but it's up to the organizations too they've got to realize do you want to make that big splash are you going to be willing to just make a minor trade to go out there and kind of give yourself some depth and fortunately that's what the White Sox did and I had the experience with Ozzie Guillen and uh, probably one of the best compliments I ever got paid my entire career was from Ozzie Guillen when he said I, there, there's a DVD that that uh, doesn't bleep it out, but uh, he said, you know, nobody get, nobody got excited when we traded for Blum, but we knew we were bringing a guy into our clubhouse that wasn't going to mess it up, and that was a big thing for them. And that goes to what you're talking about. The analytics can pump out all kinds of numbers, but the second you start talking about chemistry, you know, how's Towny going to get along with uh, Cody and all this kind of stuff. All of a sudden, that becomes noise because you can't input it into a computer. But that's why you got have guys like Ozzie Guillen, Mark Kotze, and some of these other guys around here that really say, you know what, he's a good dude. He's not going to mess up my clubhouse, and he's going to help us win. So are you telling me when you showed up in Chicago, you didn't throw your bags in the <laughs> middle of the room and go, the magnitude yes. of me? Yeah. You didn't go Reggie Jackson? No, gosh, no. No, I can't do that. No, that, that's not my personality. <laughs> I did not want that attention. The straw that yeah. stirs the drink, Jeez. baby. Well, how about South side style. I go, for, I go from a San Diego Padre media market where everything's, you know, sunshine and shorts. It's the San Diego yeah. Union Tribune. Yay, here yeah. we come. Jeff, you had a great game. You went one for four. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, so I get to Chicago and I get traded. And I actually met the team in Baltimore, so there wasn't much media there. But when I got to Chicago – there were 50 guys around my locker when I showed up, and I'm going, what are you – yeah, I'm here. Great. You know what? What? Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, it was a good time. Let's end on this because Fred McGriff – it's funny. Fred McGriff couldn't even sniff the writer's ballot. And Why? now all of a sudden he's a Hall of Famer, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, of course, he should have been. Right. And all these numbers are coming up where you're comparing him against Bonds before Bonds was on the juice, mm-hmm. and he was either equal or better. And now everybody's like, yeah, of course Fred should be in. It makes me think of Paul Konerko. Dude, yes, right? absolutely. Paul Konerko. Look those numbers up. A clean, because, you know, I'm, I'm looking at A-Rod, Manny, some of these guys. Yep. 
take the clean guys because we're have now, the conversation. We're having appreciation for McGriff as a clean guy. Yep. You played with old Paulie. PK. Don't you think that's a good one to bring up? Like, let's look at Paul Conurco through the lens of a non-PED guy. I actually, I, man, I heard a number, and it was Paul Conurco. I mean, his his overall career numbers garner the thought that he could get into the Hall of Fame. But I think it's, I want to say it's 13 years of averaging 30-plus home runs and 90-plus RBIs. Think about it. 13 years. Yeah. That's insane. Not I mean, seven just, years. They want that no, seven years, exactly. 13 years. Yeah, what, who's that, Jay Jaffe window right there? That we seven had him on years. yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> but, but he's done a great job. I, yeah. I think that, you know, some of those numbers are fun, but then you start to really – and if you, that's looking at the traditional numbers. You're not even digging into OPSs or WRC pluses, but that guy was an absolute beast. And he – if it wasn't for Jermaine Dye, Paul Konerko would have been the World Series MVP. He had some big swings. Yeah, I, it's, yeah it's, I like it. I, I and I, I think maybe McGriff is going to help us get over the PED era a little bit. Now I we can really so. start looking yeah. at it because you played against Scott Rowland. Oh, I played against against Scott Rowland. I was a teammate of Fred McGriff his last year with Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, I got to play with PK and be around these guys, and I would love to see some of these contemporaries start to get in there. And I think I don't know how you feel about it, but I do feel like with the game changing as much as it is, you know, the closer role, the amount of innings that starters are pitching, you know, the the idea of what do wins mean anymore. I think that the evaluation of getting into the Hall of Fame is changing considerably and when you start to look at it that way the Scott Rollins get in the Fred McGriff's get in easy uh you know I don't know what took Larry Walker so damn long to get in there Todd Helton Todd and don't give me this Colorado stuff man that dude could flat hit and he you look at what they did and they dominated at times and who was the biggest threat in a lot of those lineups those guys should be in the Hall of Fame do wins even matter anymore? Like any I don't kind know. of win? I, do you even I, want to win now? Yeah, I mean, I, what I are we, why do we even play? I, I, right, but that's the problem. Is it? You know, I was talking to Justin Verlander, and he he said he he enjoys the win. He means that I pitched well enough to win. I want the win, and that's kind of how you your street cred more or less is going out there and you know getting W's. He knows he has to rely on bullpens to go out there and get those W's, but if he leaves the game with the W and he has a chance for the win, he wants that W, and I can't blame those guys for getting it. It's just more numbers. And we always want to remind everybody, yes, he's a Houston Astro <laughs> broadcaster, but he is a Cal Bear legend. Cal Bears took oh, the man, Cal Bears. I can see the Campanile from right back here in the treehouse. Are you Took him me? to the College World Series. Are you in the Cal Hall of Fame? No. Is there a Cal Baseball Hall of Fame? Uh, no, but you know what? Uh, you know what? It's funny you ask that because I think it was two years ago. I got a call from Cheese. You know John Hughes? Uh, no. he, was, he used to be a pitching coach at Cal. Now he was a scout with the Montreal Expos. He actually drafted me uh, in 1994. But he still works with the Alumni Association over there with Mike New and trying to recognize some of the guys that played there. And I don't know if you remember, but that the, the rec center, the RSF out there in left field has that big, huge wall behind the left field wall. Oh, yeah, you Cal. can mountain climb yeah, off of it. We yeah. Would, yeah, we would take batting practice yeah. and just start aiming for them. They didn't like that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it was good for your power numbers. Uh, <laughs> but they had uh, they had huge murals, murals and tarps out there of guys in the past, and they kind of tore it down, and they're going to restart the whole situation. And I got a phone call from John Hughes and the alumni uh, baseball alumni committee out there, and they said that they wanted to add me to it. And uh, I, I – amazingly and humbly said I would love to be a part of that 
because, you know, they already had our names out there for, you know, donations or, you know, uh, Cal Big Leaguers in the past and stuff like that. But now to be on a wall with, you know, the Connor Jacksons, the Xavier Nadies, uh, Ryan Drees, uh, you know, Marcus Simeon, I think, is up there too, and some of these more current guys. Hey, but Can up there. Yeah, Can is up there. You know, so it, all of a sudden you were like, damn, you know what, I enjoyed my time here, and now they enjoyed me being there. That meant so much to me. You know, it's it's a blast, and uh, I've got a picture somewhere buried on my phone of that wall, and when my kids give me a hard time, I'm like, hey, look, are you on your college wall? I am, <laughs> and well, I take a you, lot of pride in that. Do you hold up your other phone and go, here's a statue of me at well, uh, Comiskey? That, that's always that's, – that's in the final chamber if I really need to get at somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I have a statue of me at a big league ballpark. Yeah. The but, magnitude of me. But the only reason that that statue of me hitting left-handed is because of Bob Milano at Cal. That's the he only reason. He switched you around? He told me as an 18-year-old, he goes, you're going to learn how to hit left-handed. I said he was – I almost said bat, I almost said something really awful. I was streaming. Don't okay, okay well, I almost said he was batshit crazy because I had only hit right-handed up until I was 18 years old. And he goes, I think you can do it. And I, I was like, you're crazy, but I'll try it. Man, 2005, I get up there left-handed, and I have a 14-year career because I can switch hit. Bob Milano, right, right up the street at Cal. He's the only, only guy that really believed in me and taught me to believe in myself. Well, when they asked us, because last year we had over 1.7 million downloads. Damn. I said this is one of the reasons why. <laughs> we bring the Cal Bear guy on, and Cal, Cal brings people to the yard. Bring it. Yeah, absolutely. There's some diehards out here. This is, this is, this is where it all happened. Well, yeah. I know Northern California means a lot to you. That's it does. why it's always special. And I can tell you, over the years when we had a text line, whenever we'd have you on the pregame show, <laughs> there were people you went to college with yep. who would go, "That's my boy." We would get that all the time. Yep, yep. There was a lot of a lot of those Cal alum come out of the woodwork when I start showing up. It's, I love it. We don't like the Astros, but we love him. He's the man. I get it. I do. Yes. <laughs> It'll go away at some point. <laughs> you hope, right? Yeah, yeah. You hope. Great stuff. Congratulations yeah, you, on everything. No, appreciate you. And we will talk to you later in the uh, season. I absolutely look. I 100% look forward to it. We got more coming up next right here on A's Cast Live. This is Chris Townsend, and it is summertime. You want to look your best, and I can't tell you how excited I am. Commander Cody, we've got our new shipment from Link Soul, all the summer gear. So whether you're playing golf or you're going out for dinner, you're hanging out with your buddies, or you're going to the beach, go see our friends at LinkSoul.com. And right now they have an offer where you can get 20% off. Go to LinkSoul.com. Remember in the big leagues, look good. Play good. Streaming from the Treehouse, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. All right, so right over this hand right here, over this guy in the hat, Amelia Schimmel, the voice of the Oakland Coliseum, is busy at work doing bingo here in the Treehouse, giving away... All kinds of free prizes. Now, we are not giving this out today. Is that correct, Commander? Uh, that is correct. This is actually an old Italian Heritage Night stomper with the Italian flag. But this is being given away. If you didn't get this, and I know a lot of you like to collect all of them, if you didn't get the, am I, I'm, I'm, I'm taking this, by the way. Oh, there's plenty. We'll, get you well no, this is going on our desk at, at Wait, we the, got the Captain Marvel one from the other This day is too. gonna be going on the road the uh, road desk for and the road studio for the athlete. We haven't been on the road. It's been a while. It's been a while. 
next week. Giants, Rockies. Seven straight days of going into San Francisco for me was uh, way too much. Nothing says July like Rockies, Giants. Cody did one day. So when I got to fill in for Brody Brazil, it's like doing two jobs because I got to do this job, my job, then I got to do his job. Cody does it one day and was so dragging last night. Like, oh, my God, I do post game. You're soft. Well, well, I've been welcome to the big leagues. Well, when you work 12 hours in a day. Yeah, you know, welcome. and see how it works. You all right today? Yeah, I'm good. You're going to make it? Yeah. Uh, we're going to have Zach, Zach Geloff win. After BP. So we'll see him walk up eventually. That's going to be pretty soon, right? Yeah. By the way, I think this might be, if I remember correctly, because, I mean, I'm, I remember every guest we, blow, we have on. I don't think we've ever had Geloff. We didn't have him in spring training. And then we didn't have him after he was drafted. I don't think oh, we've ever I might had, have had him on on TV. So yeah, you might have. Talk, but I don't, think he's, I don't think he's ever been on this program. Uh, were you shocked when I brought up Ball Canerco for the Hall of Fame? No. And what's his oh, war? Uh, uh, um, hold on, Paul, I had to. I did. The, you call him Polly. I call him Paul Canerco. Well, our good friend Hawk Harrelson calls him Polly. Yes. Canerco's uh, war is. If he's at sixty. No, it's a twenty-eight point one somehow. Oh, he's in the Garvey range, yeah. huh? But. Blummer was right. If you average out his, it's uh, from 99 to 2012, you do the average, 30 home runs, 93 runs driven in, in a. That's what I don't understand by war. Like, how can somebody hit so many home runs and drive in so many runs and their war stinks? Is that, is that, is that just such a, la- it's like Garvey. How did Garvey drive in all those runs of all those hits? Is it because of first base? Probably because of the defense. You the, just give the, no love? Yeah, uh, maybe. I think it's a defensive I thing, I mean, too, you're but. essentially the same numbers as Scott Rowland. Home runs and RBIs wise, yeah. And Scott Rollins is seventy, I want to say. Seventy, yeah, seventy point one or seventy point something like that. On the and I am not going to slight Scott Rollins because Scott Rollins was a terrific player. He was a big guy, really good on defense. He was consistent offensively. Scott Rollins, I understand why he's a Baseball Hall of Famer, but I will say this: MLB now. Doing the Hall of Fame show today from the plaque room, which has probably got to be one of the greatest honors in our business, is to do an actual television show from the plaque room at the Baseball Hall of Fame, where I watched Raleigh Fingers on the show today. Raleigh rolled in in a Hawaiian shirt, <laughs> not a Ray Jensen. By the way, Ray, uh, uh, the Karate Kid has given me a, a – it's not a Hawaiian shirt. It is – what would you call it? A Jersey Shore, Jersey Shore Hawaiian yeah. shirt. A Shorian shirt. Awesome. Uh, With Ra- watermelons on it. Raleigh rolled into the plaque room <laughs> in a Hawaiian shirt and shorts today to be on with Brian Kenny. Did he have flip-flops on, though? Didn't show. He just had shorts and a Hawaiian shirt. If people had the boat shoes on, it would have been even better. Uh, they had Ryan Sandberg on the show. But the whole show... So, the, so, so, basically, in television, we call them segments in radio. In television, they call them blocks. So, the A block, which is your number one block, it's how you start the show, all was Fred McGriff. The next block, oh, uh, God, I forgot what it is now. It's a C block they got to defense. Roland, the guy who actually was voted in, wasn't until the third block. Interesting. And it's because what I got into about we have a problem with we're, we're taking away from guys being stars. Fred McGriff is a far bigger star than Scott Rowland. 
He's a far bigger significance in baseball history. They had some numbers on Fred McGriff. Only Eddie Murray in modern-day baseball, Hall of Famer, has hit in the four-hole consecutively and consistently more than Fred McGriff in the history of modern-day baseball. The four-hole is a guy that hits home runs and drives in runs. Yeah. That's who that four-hole guy is. Fred McGriff, Eddie Murray. No, I mean, they had all these numbers of consistency that nobody clean has as good a numbers as Fred McGriff. And that clearly the steroid guys overshadowed Fred McGriff. But now we're able to look at it and go, eh, yeah, Fred McGriff. But it's like Fred McGriff, it's... This was basically like Fred McGriff's going into the Hall of Fame and Scott Rowland, and Scott Rowland was the guy voted in, and it's Fred McGriff was the committee guy. Yeah. That, I mean, I could see that, and Fred McGriff was a great player. I mean, I, I got to watch the tail end of his career when he was a devil ray. And When I was growing up, Fred McGriff was a premier power hitter and really good hitter. He wasn't, he wasn't hitting 230 and hitting 30 home runs. He led the league in home runs back when hitting 35 home runs and leading the league was reality. Yeah. Right? You didn't have guys hitting 60 home runs. No one 70 home runs. 50 home runs was like a wow year. 40 home runs was a wow year. Ball wasn't juiced. Players weren't juiced. Ballparks weren't juiced. Um, Fred McGriff was an all-star. He was looked at as one of the best players. He's one of the great trades of all time going to Atlanta. Atlanta was like, 51 or 52 and 17. Yeah, so I remember after we they the traded for him and they tracked down the Giants. I mean, Fred McGriff was a premier player, but I just found it interesting on the show that was like the Hall of Fame show on the MLB Network. They did two different segments, two different blocks. They didn't get to Scott Rowland, the actual guy who was voted in to the third block. It was about Fred McGriff and about the future. Now we look at uh, some of the players, especially some of the players who haven't gotten in or who are big names. Yeah, I just got to text Gallops on his way up. So I want to give you this real quick before we get him. I told you I put together my list of guys that I think should be in the Hall of Fame that excludes steroid guys and Pete Rose because I think all the steroid guys should be in Bonds, Clemens, McGuire, Sosa, Palmero. First guy, Billy Wagner. Uh, that They talked about that with not Billy Wagner, but they talked about that how – do you know the first reliever to get in? Who was the first reliever to get in? Uh, Hoyt Wilhelm. Hoyt Wilhelm. Took him eight tries. Yeah, well. And then it was Raleigh. Yep. And do you know who the third one was? Eck. And you've had Mariano Rivera. Unanimous Hall of Fame. I mean, there's not a lot of closers in the history or relievers in the history of the game. Trevor who, Hoffman. Who have been in Trevor Hoffman. I mean, it's very, very, very few. So, I'm okay with Billy Wagner. All right, this guy, I'll give you his war, 68.4. Um, how's Kenny Lofton not considered more for the Hall of Fame? Kenny Lofton should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, 75.1 war. How's Lou Whitaker not in the Hall of Fame? Lou Whitaker should be the next Fred McGriff, yes. where they really look at it and go, a 75, a 75 war for a second baseman who is arguably the best tandem in the history of baseball shortstop second base with Alan Trammell. Yeah, also a Hall of Famer. How is Lou Whitaker? All right, I'm just going to look up because I saw today, and I do think Ryan Sandberg should be a Hall of Famer, but I'm going to bet that Ryan Sandberg, I'm going to bet you that his war say his is like, not as high. I was going to yeah, say if it Ryan is. Ryan Sandberg's war 
67.9, now I'm close to Lou Whitaker's. I agree with you, Lou Whitaker uh, should be in. Uh, 62.7, Hembo's a big fan of this guy, uh, Andrew Jones. Andrew Jones having played a premier defensive position, probably played it better than anybody we've ever seen. No disrespect to whoever you want to throw out there. I mean, you could throw out Griffey, you could throw out Devon White, you could throw out Jim Edmonds, Steve Finley. We've had a lot of great defensive center fielders. It's funny you mentioned that. My last guy on the list. Jim Edmonds. Jim Edmonds. Yeah. 60.4 war. He had a higher OPS. He had a little, he had a, like 100 less RBIs, less home runs, higher batting average than Andrew Jones. But Jim but Edmonds. But here's the thing. You're falling into the trap, too. It's just who accumulated numbers. You're just saying, because baseball is a game of math, right? The more you play, the more you accumulate numbers. Well, he accumulated all these numbers, and just because he got those numbers, he should be a Hall of Famer. I'm not saying you're wrong, but then now we're looking at guys who are actual real stars. Jim Edmonds was not a star. No. We're not talking about MVP. We're not talking about a guy who was like a star player who has star moments. He had some great catches, but... That's what I'm saying. (laughs) I can take Dave Parker was a star. Steve Garvey was a star. Keith Hernandez was a star. We're talking about guys who starred in postseason, guys who won MVPs, guys who were looked at in their generation of player. And then you're bringing me Jim Edmonds? Yeah. No, it's fair. I mean, I, I remember Jim Edmonds in that stupid Disney angel uniform. Remember how bad those uniforms got? <laughs> oh, those are angels in the outfit. You, so- okay. Steve Garvey and Jim Edmonds both played in Southern California. You want to tell me who was a star in Southern California? Yeah, Garvey. Garvey I was remember, a star. I remember Edmonds as a cardinal because I was too young when he played for the Angels. I mean, seriously. I'm not saying, once again, I'm not saying an Edmonds or a Wagner because part of the problem with Billy, Billy Wagner is what. Part of the problem with Billy Wagner is he was garbage in the postseason. Yeah, that, and that's fair. And Scott Rowland wasn't good in the postseason either. But there's one audible mention, and, yes, it's not a homer pick, but it's he should deserve more credit. Bobby Bonilla is not <laughs> Andy Van Slyke. Don't bring no. me into your pirate garbage. Uh, Captain Sal has, has the war to be in the Hall of Fame. What? He's in the 60s. It's at, I think it's 60, 60 point something. Captain Sal has and the war to be in the Hall of Fame. How about all these positions, uh, Zach's here. How, Zach Gallup's here. How about all these positions that are totally unrepresented in the Baseball Hall of Fame? Well, Zach Gallup is a player we've been waiting to get on here on A's Cast Live, and we finally have him on. Finally get to meet him. We wanted to have him on at spring training. And we were thinking about it. We haven't been able to have you on this show. I had you on NBC. I was that TV guy talking to you the other day. Here, put this down right here. We had you on the uh, post-game show the other day. We finally get to meet you here on Ace, Ace Cat. This is our flagship channel, station, YouTube. You see us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. Also, people can listen streaming for all the A's fans. We've been waiting to have you on. It's great to finally have you. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen plenty of you on, on Ace Cast and the videos and stuff, so really appreciate what you do and uh, excited to be here. So you're here. You're finally here. Yep. What has it been like? Uh, it's been a whirlwind, especially the first few days with my family. And uh, things were moving fast. I was getting texts left and right. And um, I finally got a chance to respond to all those guys. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a lot. And it's obviously pretty difficult. But it's been a blast. I, I love playing this game. And um, 
you know, I'm trying to be the best I can be. I so hope your family is going to get the recordings of the game because we had cameras all over your mom and dad, and they were going nuts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's priceless stuff, priceless. Did you get to see any of that? Yeah, I did. It was, it was part of the uh, one of the highlights of my first hit. Um, but, yeah, I feel like whenever someone texts me, they're like, I, I, we can't stop seeing your parents and family <laughs> on there because everything I do, it's yeah. like, here's the family. They The second day they had the uh, custom Geloff jerseys already. Yeah. So they didn't, uh, they didn't skip a beat. But, uh, you know, it's, it's awesome, and it's just a testament to them because, you know, I wouldn't be here without my family. So it was, it was just awesome to be a part of. I always like to ask, there's that moment where you get here and you're, I, I, I don't know, if you're walking in. It's maybe playing against a certain guy, or it's in the clubhouse, or there's that moment where you just go, "I'm in the big leagues." Like something hits you where you, I, what was that moment? Uh, first game, first pitch, the top of the first. Correa hits a ball to right field for a stand-up double, and he gets on base, and I'm like, "All right, welcome to it." Like, here we go. Um, you know, but other than that, it's just kind of like you play like. MLB the show, and you yes. get in the box, and you're facing guys, like especially last night yeah. against uh, their closer. It felt like I was in a video game, but uh, you know, you just gotta know that you know these are my peers too. Like I'm, I'm here. They have to pitch against me, um, so just trying to think that way as well. This is fascinating because Soderstrom said the same thing. It was like he's catching, and there's Correa. Yeah, it's like yeah, the, you've been watching these guys on television, and now you're playing against them. It's so cool. Yeah, it's awesome, especially Correa. I mean, uh, he's been in the playoffs countless times, coming through in big spots. So, uh, um, yeah, that was that was pretty surreal. But now it's kind of you know it should be an, an everyday thing of like these are these are my peers now, and maybe in a few years like someone looks at me and, and is like, oh, this that, that's my welcome to the show moment. So, so we got to see you. We came down to San Jose when you were with the Ports to play the San Jose Giants, and you were a third baseman. Yep. What has that transition from third to second been like for you? Um, it was pretty difficult at first, but honestly, I feel like with my skill set, I think it actually helps being over there because I can use my athleticism a little bit more going left to right uh, and turning double plays and kind of feel like it brings out that shortstop in me back from high school. Um, so I've been loving it so far, and uh, hopefully I can keep it up. I think about being fearless in the big leagues. A lot of you guys, you come up ready to play. You not only steal second base – to hell with it. I'm stealing third. I mean, yeah. most guys, you steal your first base bait, you stole your second. Just talk about that mentality of you're coming up here to get yours. Yeah, I mean, I don't even look back. I don't even know if I got the green light or not, but <laughs> I got. I had him. T- I think I did. I'm not really sure. It was my first day. The signs are relatively the same, but yeah. uh, no, I, I had him timed up pretty good, and um, it was first and second. I believe it was one out. Um, so, you know, even if I get thrown out, it's like it's not the worst case. We still have a guy in scoring position. But I truly felt like I could get it, and it was a, just a given. And obviously I, I slid, but they, there was no throw. Um, so if it's there, I'm going to steal. I mean, I think that's a, something that I can bring to the team to, to help, and I think I ended up scoring. So um, if I can just, you know, do anything to help the team win, I'm going to do it. What's interesting is the adjustments that are already being made by the other teams against you because you had success you hit the ball off the wall you've had a triple and another a couple doubles right so you've saw you've shown you can you can hit it to all fields and everything are you starting to see the adjustments they're making against you yes now the results haven't been coming recently but now just talking with uh guys other guys in the clubhouse as well as coaches and stuff like you see it and it's something i haven't really ever had to do i mean in the minor leagues you kind of look at the pitcher and then 
you go up there and just hit. But now it's if you can't hit this certain pitch or or, or whatnot, they're going to keep going in that spot and that spot. And the execution from the big league pitchers is um, obviously really good because this is the best, um, you know, best baseball it gets. So. Yeah, I've always found, found that fascinating how once they know – they're going to wear you out until you prove you can't do it. Because when you're in the minor leagues, everybody's trying to get to the big leagues, right. and you're not concentrating as much on winning as you do up here and all the video work and the scouting reports and everything. Yep. That is the chess game. It's like you're going to have to make adjustments now, and hopefully you play for another 15 years. But 15 years from now, you're still going to be making adjustments. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's the name of the game. You're never yeah. going to stop making adjustments. So, uh you know, it's something I, I'm gonna, you know, try to do. See what they they give me, and just kind of try to keep adjusting. But uh, you know, not necessarily worrying about like what they're trying to do, but also what I do well, and kind of sticking to that until I have to ultimately battle with two strikes. How about the speed of the game? Have you noticed a difference? Yeah, um, it's a little bit faster. I mean, you got the best athletes in the world playing this game, so um, you know, there's that. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, the the bases are still the same. It's just you know, the guys are uh, a little bit bigger, faster, stronger. and um, But, you know, at the end of the day, it's the same game. So Let's end on this. Coming up with Tyler, you guys are good friends. It was the all-star break. You guys are like, hey, I'm going yeah. up. I'm going. What is it like to do this with your buddy to come up together? Uh, it's, it's pretty cool. I think it takes the pressure off of each of us individually just because if I have a good day and he doesn't, it's like, all right, these guys are doing the right things. Um, but, you know, it's just been awesome to share that experience with him coming up. And now I think it's kind of geared towards now we want to win together in the big leagues and, and do everything we can to stay up here and stay up here for a long time. Well, I'll tell you what, these fans who are watching and listening, they've been following your career. I also do the post-game show. People and call, and I can't wait till he comes up. Can't. Everybody is so fired up that you're here. It, it, it's great. There's a great vibe right now, and congratulations. And to your family, too, I know what it means to them. Yep. And hopefully we're doing this for, like, another 15 years. Yeah, that's the goal. Just got to keep getting better every day and, and having fun doing it. So I look forward to it. Awesome stuff. It's great to meet you. Thank you. We got more coming up next right here on A's Cast Live. It's summertime, and I can guarantee you, you probably need to redo your wardrobe. You, you want to look good, and you want to feel comfortable. This is Chris Townsend, and you got to go check out my friends at Link Soul. They've got all the finest fabrics. You're going to love the shirts, the polos, the shorts, you name it. Redo your look for summertime. Go to LinkSoul.com right now, and you can get an offer for 20% off. Remember, in the big leagues, to play good, you got to look good. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. All right, I have good news because I was worried. We play the man is open. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. So I've been calling, I've been texting, I'm like, <laughs> is Eno mad at me? I mean, I've been praising you about your work recently, about way too many sliders, hitters are adjusting to it, you won't get back to me. I'm like, is there like a breakup with Ace Cast here? Why won't he get back to me? I, I, was, I, I was losing sleep, and then I find out. The phone's been dead. I, I've been phoneless for a week. It's been great. I read a book. 
He got I, back I to your my self. children. Oh, you talked to them? <laughs> yeah. They didn't text you? Yeah. <laughs> well, one has a watch now. Yeah, he texts me. <laughs> Isn't it great not having a phone? Yeah, it was, it was good for a little bit, yeah. I know a lot of people, you think it's crazy, but uh, a few years ago, we were down at the beach, and of course, hopped in the water with the phone in. Phone dies, right? And I think it's the end of the world. I end up going a month without the phone because it was liberating. Yeah, there wasn't. I wasn't constantly checking this thing. I wasn't. Yeah, it, it's like it was liberating. And then my wife was like, "We have kids. You need a phone. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. You got. All right, I'll get a phone. But yeah. it's nice, like kind of like disconnecting from the world. And if you want me." Call my house phone. Yeah. Well, we don't even have a house phone. So. There you go. So you can't call me. <laughs> email get me, get me. me online. Yeah, email. <laughs> I did do some emailing. We had to do some emailing. <laughs> fax me. Send a fax. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it was, a, it was a good week without it. Although it kind of is, you know, it's, it's hanging over your head. You know, you gotta you got to fix this thing, you know. It's like, you know, you got to fix. It's like something your wife tells you you have to fix. And you keep being like, no, 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 no. Eventually, you just have to fix it. And wives don't like that they can't get a hold of you. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> it bothers them. Uh, I've been referencing the last time we were here. I heard you once in the bathroom. Did you? Yeah, because yeah, uh, you get you get broadcast in the bathroom. Yes, the yes. <laughs> so I, I think of a couple guys like Luis Medina. I'm like, I look at his numbers. He's got this great curveball. Hardly throws it, but when he does, they can't hit it. He throws a ton of sliders, and they hit it. Mm. Yesterday, Hogan Harris, cutter slider, they got over a 300 average against him. But when he goes fastball change, numbers are way down. It's like you're throwing way too many sliders. I don't care what the R&D department is saying. <laughs> Hitters are seeing too many of them. You got to use other pitches. Well, I mean, hitters train. The, the league is training hitters by what they throw. So if they're not throwing changeups and sinkers as much, hitters are not seeing those changeups and sinkers as much, and they're not getting trained to get better at those. So I think there's a, there's an element of truth to that for sure. We learned so much from you on this show. Like I learned, and everybody you should have learned, that the New York Yankees have the largest R&D research and data department in baseball. You know, years ago, you farmed out and got information. Teams still do, but the Yankees brought it all in-house. They create all their own data. They have the most employees. You talked about how they have this model of the type of pitcher and the type of hitter they want. Um, And I was thinking about you because it's been a glorious thing for me when I go to the standings and I see the New York Yankees in last place. It's like the greatest thing in the world. It's like it's like Christmas every day. Well, I just I had an interesting conversation. I just spoke uh, for 15 minutes each with Hunter Brown and J.P. France. You saw J.P. France last night. Pretty good. And uh, Hunter Brown uh, is kind of a fire-breathing monster. He throws really hard, has a really hard slider, 92 mile an hour Mini Verlander. Mini Verlander, yeah. So um, I was talking to both of them, and it was amazing to me how different they they are now than when they were drafted. I mean, Hunter Brown is talking to me about that 92 mile an hour slider, the Verlander slider that he throws. Uh, he didn't even have that when he was drafted. He said he was fastball, curveball, and everything else they've they've given him. J.P. France said that when he was drafted, he was throwing 90 miles an hour, and his changeup he was throwing 69, and his curveball he was throwing 72. Right now, those are both in the 80s. He's throwing 95 mile an hour, and he was talking about all the sort of mechanical changes he made. And what really struck me was 
J.P. France and Hunter Brown are not at all alike. They, they don't pitch alike. One's a power pitcher. One's a kind of mix-it-up guy. Uh, you know, I, I would say J.P. France's changeup is better. You know, they, they're different guys. They're one, Hunter Brown is huge. J.P. France is small. Uh, and so, you know, what struck me about that was with the Yankees, I get the sense that the Yankees have these findings from on high and then they disperse those findings in the minor leagues and that's a very efficient way to do things because you keep changing coaches but you can keep the nerds there and see the nerds say this is how we should do things teach everyone a sweeper you know and so then you tend to your coaches hey teach everybody a sweeper and the yankees and the mariners they literally just taught everybody a sweeper but the sweeper is not good for everybody it's not it's not the perfect pitch for everybody it's it, it's it's really for people who are here instead of people who are here you know and so you know already there's something you should do where you could be like hey don't teach it to these guys it doesn't make any sense to teach it to those guys and what I get a sense from the Astros what they do that's really difficult is have the findings from the nerds and then have feel and touch and understand that each pitcher is a little different you mean like when they go, well, this is what Tiger Woods does. Yeah. Do I look like Tiger uh, Woods? <laughs> yeah. How does playing Tiger in his prompt? How am I going to be Tiger? I'm how old? <laughs> and you're talking about what Tiger did in his prime? <laughs> you want me at my age? I can't, if I swing like that, my back will got like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah, give me a little bit of more like the what the 60-year-old shark was doing instead. <laughs> tell me what the guys on the senior tour are doing. Don't tell me what Rory McIlroy hits at 370. Yeah. Like, uh, what? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's so look at Hunter Brown and say, okay, we got this big, tall guy. He's going to do this. He's going to do – he releases here. Let's let's do this. Let's do this. And you look at J.P. France and say, oh, he's a little bit different. Let's do this. Let's do this. So Astros – Correct me if I'm wrong, but they've really been masters at taking other people and making them way better. Yeah, even on the major league level, they do. Uh, they have, I think what they have is a great sense of, like, what they can do in their system, in their major league coaching, in their minor league system. And so they can take a player from you that you think, oh, we can't coach this thing up. And they say, oh, we know we can coach this aspect up. We know we can, do, we know we can take sliders like this and make them look like this. And you have, you have a picture that has slider like this. We're going to make it look like this. He's going to be better. You know, like they know what they can do, and they know, and then they can go and find pitchers that don't do, you know, that they can coach up. Yeah. You know, and so they know that at the major league level. They know that at the minor league level. Um, and one of the keys to that just got hired away, which is when the, hire, when the Giants hired Pete Patillo away, he was the director of uh, player development. And I was just talking to somebody within the Astros organization that said he was really key to, like, hiring all the best coaches, putting these processes in place, and, you know, having that blend of feel with analytics uh, on the minor league level. So it be interesting to see if the Giants take a step forward with that, if the Astros take a step backward. But you're seeing in France, Fromber, Luis Garcia, all these guys, you're seeing guys that weren't drafted high, that other people said had flaws, that weren't going to make it, and they've all, like, they've all become the best versions of themselves. You think of what we're dealing with now in the Bay Area with the Golden State Warriors. You could go back in the day with the San Francisco 49ers, their long dynasty. Patriots had to do it. Uh, you've seen it with the Chicago Bulls or the Celtics or the Lakers, a lot of different sports. Is How do you keep prolonging the winning and the success at a high level? And you got to give the Astros. Open the window as long as possible. Make it as long as possible. There might be a rebuild that has to happen at some point. but like Six years, ALCS, four World Series, 
two championships. I mean, this is six years of phenomenal baseball. I think it's about as close to a dynasty as you can have in in Major League Baseball now. There's How do they that keep it rolling, though? Because we just had Jeff Blum here, and you just said, you know, the, the top 100 prospects aren't there anymore, right? And it's it's like, going to be difficult because they also got penalized for the cheating scandal. So, like, they haven't had even their own top draft picks, you know. So uh, maybe they can uh, hit it hard in, in the international scene. You know, they have a lot of those pitchers that they've got uh, in, in their rotation right now. They, got, they signed internationally. Um, you know, I think the Jose Abreu was a misstep. I think that was a misstep to give him that many years. So, like, there may there may be things going on there that uh, that sort of show that at some point it's going to go back down. But uh, if they can keep the player development going, I mean, I think with the A's, one of the things that was kind of key uh, recently that was maybe even undercovered was Pike Goldschmidt, uh, who works in the analytics department yeah. here, the director of R&D, basically. He was um, – it's not a reassignment or anything. It's it, – like, he chose to – be more a part of player development so now he's in r&d but the focus is player development that's a real inspiration to me because that's you know he had a focus he was doing stuff at the major league level but he recognized how important it is to develop these players at the best they can be and so he's taking that energy to the minor leagues and so i think you know it one thing that the A's don't do very much is change uh, they've had a lot of the guys in place for a long, long time. So taking Pike from there and putting him over there represents a great deal of change for the A's. Okay. That's why people need to realize what we do with A's cast is pretty amazing. <laughs> That's, true. That's true. Because back with the people who used to run, not R&D, but our department, would have never seen this. Like, no way, no way, no, no. I mean... The fact what we've been able to do inside this organization in an organization of not a whole lot of change because yeah. it just wasn't from player development. God love you, Kim Priest. But there was yeah. no way it would have happened under him. Yeah. We would have done this. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, kudos to you all. We, got, we, really we, cool. we have to pay Innovative. for a mixer, and we got to pay for some iPads, and we got to yeah. headsets. <laughs> what? Yeah, but you, you guys make this stuff travel so much. I mean, you, you, you found a way to kind of use the content that you do make in, you know, in ways that's innovative and like, and flushes it out. You know what I mean? Like, it's a, it's a really cool thing that you've done. It's it, it, the R and D aspect of it and how every team does it. It is pretty fascinating because we're still a wild, wild west, and we now know baseball kind of want to corrals, corral it, and not have as much mm-hmm. uh, employees, I guess, and people kind of digging from the same type of information. You don't like that. No, I don't like that. I think uh, I think I just don't like when MLB comes in and a lot of times it just tries to limit spending. They limit spending on the draft with the draft slots. They limit spending in the international draft with those those draft pools. Uh, they they just basically there's a lot of energy from Central uh, on limiting spending, and uh, you know it, that has something to do with parity and some teams having a lot more to spend than others. I understand that, uh, but. You know, look at a team like the Rays. They don't spend a lot on the major league uh, side, but they do spend a lot of time, energy, and a fair amount of money on the player development side. And you can see that kind of come through. And so what you do when you limit spending is you limit ways for even the smaller market teams sometimes to be competitive. You so, know? Yeah, so back in the day, like, 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 let's look at the Astros. So when Jeffrey Lunau was there, and I don't even know if you can still do this, but when you start looking at Framber Valdez or Christian Javier or whoever – Back in the day, they went internationally and just took a ton of money but spread it out a bunch of bunch of dudes. Really tiny bonuses, old guys, 
Who was only 10,000? grand? I think Christian Javier was like 10,000. It was like 10,000. They get Jose you get, you get 20. Yeah. Cody gets 10. Yeah. Townsend, you'll get 3,500. And you know what baseball's response to that was? Trim the minor leagues. Trim the complex. How many people you can have at the complex. Limit how many minor leaguers you can have. So they, they, they actually went and limited a way that the Astros were really innovative. Could I still do that? It's harder now. You, you have a, a cap on how many players you can have in the minor leagues. Because I hate this fact that we're giving some kids 3 to $5 million and they're 16 years old. And they've never played. They've just been in all these tryouts. I love the idea of a bunch of pitchers, you get 25, you get 40, you get this. Bring him here and I mean, let's it's see. All, it's all so complicated because I'm fine with, like, a smaller bonus, but then they have to be paid, like, a living wage, you know? You Once they get here, yeah. Yeah, you can't give them 20000 and then be like, okay, it's five, you get $5,000 for playing this year, you know what I mean? Which some guys were doing in high A and stuff. So, and, and then in order to pay people more, you, you kind of do need to slim the minors. Well, I mean, we paid Robert Poisson $5.1 million. He can't get out of Stockton. Yeah. $5.1 million. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, at the same time, like you know, you gotta you gotta bring up the living wages in order in order to do that. Maybe you have to cut the amount of teams you have because you know the, the, the Modesto lug nuts are not making money. They're not making a ton of money. <laughs> <You They're> no, <laughs> I think when I went to a Modesto game, there was like fifteen people there. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you about the uh, the competitive balance tax. Because I know the Yankees want to get under the, the the four levels are two two hundred ninety three million, two hundred seventy three million, two hundred fifty three, and two hundred thirty three, and two hundred thirty three. Yankees want to stay under the two ninety three, so I don't know how they're going to do it. They want to get below it, and then all of a sudden you're going to have call ups and all this different kind of stuff. They want to get below it. I think what people don't understand is it's just not the tax. They affect you when you draft, how you draft. You lose draft So there's picks. a reason why, you know, that's the highest 293. Yankees aren't going below 233. Yeah. But just talk about how. Well, actually, the, one, uh, there's another team that's really interesting there is that the, um, the Dodgers are at 248. And, uh, you know, I, I took part in a, in a sort of trade Shohei Otani game um, uh, for a, a podcast on Fangraphs. And um, I was Andrew Friedman, and I was like, you know, do I want to just take on the $10 million that's that's Ocha Hiotani and give you less in terms of prospects, you know? Or do I make you pay the $10 million for Shohei Otani uh, and give you a better prospect? And so that's something that the Yankees will be thinking about too. Do we give up prospects to get money off of this team? Do we give up – if we were trying to acquire someone for the stretch run and he costs money, do we make the other team pay it down and give them a better prospect for it? Uh, that's that's the sort of uh, thinking that's going on in L.A. and in, in, in New York right now. Was it fun playing the let's trade Shohei Otani game? Uh, I had a little fun with it, yeah. Brought to yeah. you by Milton Bradley? <laughs> yeah. Coming to you in the next couple of weeks? I, 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 it, was a, it was supposed to be a mythical uh, a phone message that I'd left for Perry Manasian. <laughs> so uh, I had a little fun you're with it. You're screwed either way, so just <laughs> give me the player. I, Come I, on, Perry, you're I, getting fired. I ended it with, you know we're getting him in free agency anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're going to have to fire Phil Nevin anyway. <laughs> this thing's a train wreck. I would say trade Trout to the Yankees now. He gets hurt every year. <laughs> I like this game. I want you know what? Let's play. Let's leave messages for all the front office guys. Yeah. David Force, that Chris Townsend guys, he's he's amazing. <laughs> yeah, you got to give him a raise. Uh, when I think about it, we're playing this game. All of a sudden, uh, Angels sweep the Yankees. The game changed a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and that's 
gonna make it's gonna make it really interesting. What we hear most recently is they're gonna listen to uh, listen to things right up into the deadline, and you can see it in their playoff odds. Like right now, they're at like 13, 14 percent. They could, if they won six in a row up into the deadline, that could jump up to 25, 30 percent, and 30 percent. You know, we have one in three chance if we keep Shohei. You know. We haven't been to the playoffs very much, you know. See, I go from – I'm a business guy. I think of the business side. I make millions, and I mean millions. Yes, but how much of that is already baked in? Like, Not in for the home run record in Japan. I can sell if, – if, if all of a sudden – He's going for the home run record, which they're not going to care about bonds. So sell, you can actually sell per-game TV rights in Japan while this you, is going you, on. The yeah. advertising, you could – there's a money to be made. Because most TV contracts are baked in for the year. Correct. So you're not, you're not renegotiating you the deal. Yeah, but you're, you're able to and, sell, and if you sell advertising. But if you sell jerseys, that goes to the central fund. Yeah, but if I'm selling advertisings, like like if Shohei Otani plays here and you see Japanese advertising, uh-huh. that's the A's have been selling that. Right, right, I right. can sell per-game stuff, advertising. and if Oh, he, because you had the green screens behind home plate and too, And if right? he's going for the record, do you know how many – 90% of the televisions were watching the for World the WBC. Base for the WBC. <laughs> if he's going for the home run record. Right. And then maybe that makes it more likely you sign the next Japanese player. And so that's money coming in. And if you have like a 25% chance of making the postseason and you've got money coming in and he's going for the thing, yeah, maybe you just keep him. And the one thing that we do know is the fact teams really do not want to part with prospects. I mean, in my, in my I, as Andrew Friedman. Yeah, you, what were you giving up? Michael Bush. You don't even know who that is, do you? No. No. He uh, strikes out a little bit too much. He's got good power. We don't know his position. What second prospect? Or third. What number is he right now? Uh, he's like their fourth. You're calling me up saying I got my fourth guy who does, I don't even know where he's going to Their number play. one guy is like uh, Diego Cartaya. He's like a, a, a top 15, top 20 prospect. Those guys don't get traded anymore. So – you want me to trade you Shohei Otani, skip out on my millions for a guy that I don't know where he's going to play and he strikes out too much and he's your number four guy? Oh, I was also going to give you a bunch of other pitchers. I'll give you Aletmus Diaz, <laughs> Jace Peterson, Tony Kemp. Now you sound like a WFAN caller. Seth Brown. Who else do we got? Older player. Who's over? Brent Rooker. Trevor May. Trevor May. I would have uh, given you Fuji, but he's gone. Fu- Fuji, no, Fuji pitching right now. First pitch home run allowed. Oh, no, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, where's Pip Roberts? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like, I, I also made the case on my podcast, uh, the 3-0 show, that um, the Orioles should maybe go for it because they're in first place. You know, they've got a young team. They've got extra prospects. But they're not going to give up Jackson Holiday. That's their version that you're talking about. Jackson Holiday is maybe the num- – I think he's the number one prospect That's, What's in his name's kid? Our old uh, – Yeah, it's Matt Holiday's old Holiday, kid. Holiday. Yeah. Matt Holiday. Matt Holiday. Matt Holiday. Yeah. That's Matt Holiday's Matt kid. Matt Holiday's kid is the number one prospect in he baseball. He was just drafted, right, last year? Yeah, but there's year? no way the Orioles would give that up. No. They don't get I, – I was in a conversation. I'm not dropping names here, but I'm dropping names. I was in a conversation – with Scott Boris and Billy Bean about this. Uh-huh. Shohei Otani, when we brought him in, and we had that big to-do at our offices, Boris was there. I just got a three-way, it was more a two-way conversation. I was just there. <laughs> but listening to Boris and Bean talk about how modern-day general managers are not riverboat gamblers other than A.J. Preller. They want to avoid risk. And they do not. There's no. They do not want to give up prospects. So that's why... Media people want to act like there's this pot of gold of prospects for Shohei Otani. And I'm sitting there going, 
I don't buy it. That's why I think he doesn't get traded. That might be. You might be right. I mean, like I said, I, I offered Michael Bish, Michael Bush, and Ryan Pepio. Pepio is the guy that came up, has good stuff, but does not know where the zone is. What if I gave you Reggie Bush and the Heisman Trophy? <laughs> would that would that help, Michael? But not, you're going to give me the number four Dodger prize, and he strikes out too much, and he doesn't have a position. I mean, maybe you could push it to Miguel Vargas, the guy who came up and played for a while, but then went back down. He's like the number three, I think. Do you believe in the whole? I'm not giving you Bobby Miller. Sorry. Dude throws 100. How about Dustin May and the uh, two Tommy Johns? He was a great <laughs> prospect at one point. Uh, do you believe in the bring the guy in, romance him while he's here? No, no, 100% no. And here's why. He already did that. And how did it work out? Oh, with the Angels? Yeah. He already did that because when he came over, everybody could offer him the same deal. Yeah. And he chose the Angels. And he chose the Angels because Mike Trout was there, whatever it was, or this or that. The next one is going to be there's only two questions. I think there's only two questions that matter. Are you going to be in the playoffs next year? Are you maybe even more? Are you a World Series contender? And, For years probably, and, yeah. And does, the, does it start with a 5 0 but wait a minute, I got Space Mountain and the Matterhorn over here you can ride. Yeah, it's, right, it's right across the freeway. Yeah, he doesn't care about that. He care. It's, it's, it's a small world right there, the Jungle Cruise. He doesn't care about that. He Disney can buy the Matterhorn know. after this next contract. <laughs> <laughs> ah, ah. And, and, and I think, uh. I mean, the one third thing that might matter for him, I, I have some knowledge of his thinking, is that he's, he's actually very progressive in terms of data, technology. He, he might want to see that your team uh, is making the most of those things. How many teams? So I would say Dodgers are the number one yeah, easily. There's 30 teams, Giants and, you, and are you've already said horse. Space Mountain and Anaheim's out. Yeah. So that's 29 teams. No, I, I would rank them Dodgers first uh, because they have the data, the tech, the money, and they're in the playoffs every year, Yeah. and, and the West Coast, if that matters. But th I think those are the things that matter. Um, and so Dodgers are clear, clear number one. I would say the Giants might be a dark horse because they do do a lot of these things that he likes to see in terms of coaching, in terms of playing, you know. Has he uh, seen their roster? <laughs> well, hey, they're winning, man. But has he seen their roster? <laughs> well, that's why I call him a dark horse. Um, and then, uh, and I think otherwise, maybe like Yankees and Astros, because I think he's going to be, he's going to be, uh, he's going to be drawn to the teams that are sort of player development heavy. If he goes to the Astros, that'll be a disaster. <laughs> that would be, oh my God, really? I was thinking Mets, Yankees. Oh, I guess you get got, him you, to the National League. Get gotta, him out of here and take Trout yeah, with you. <laughs> you got to throw the Mets on there for sure. And actually, let me just replace the Yankees with the Mets because if the Yankees are already at three thirty-three, are they really going to go into the four hundreds? You know, for for Otani, I don't know. Maybe I don't. How much are how are we up against it? It's 5.30. We still have time. By, by the way, you don't think Seattle's a dark horse for Otani? I, I, there it depends on money, I think. I mean, they just signed a $500 million guy, kind of. Oh, yeah, J-Rod. Yeah. You, can you that's have a two, weird contract, though. It is not a full $500 million. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're really like the first 130, 120 Only if he's an MVP guy, yeah. Uh, let's end on this. I We're, we're going to play the trade show a Otani game. Mm -hmm. We're playing it again. What team would be the best for baseball and the postseason because it's a tournament what would be the best for baseball what would be the best idea what team would you put him on if you say the teams that are in the postseason right now what i don't what i don't what i don't know about this question is like 
for baseball, like Rob Manfred and the front office and, and, and like Baseball Central? No, for us, our fans. Yeah, because that would be the Yankees probably because the biggest market. Because no, no, I think the Orioles would be great. I think the Rays would be great. I, th- I think Orioles and Rays would be really fun. And the reason that I, I agree with you on that is um, for the fans, you have a lot of young players, a lot of people you can fall in love with and stick with for a while that will be on the Orioles for a while. I don't know if they will be on the Rays for a long time, uh, but I think it would be kind of cool to have uh, they, they finally slew Goliath. You know, like I think with Otani, the Rays would actually have a chance yeah. to win the World Series, not just get there. How about the D-backs? <laughs> the young D-backs? Corbin Carroll? That would be disaster for Manfred and Central. And we're not talking Arizona. about Manfred. Yeah. Mar- Manfred's fine. He's about to get voted in. His career is fine. He's like $50 million a year. Yeah. What if, I mean, what if like, I'm seeing like these playoff teams. What if you had like him I like show Baltimore, up? man. I like Baltimore. I think Baltimore is just a fun story. How about put him in Philly's lineup? Yeah. And they uh, Harper Schwarber. Yeah, but the, the thing about Baltimore is they're all young kids coming together, you know? That's that's kind of a fun story. How about put them on Cincinnati? Ellie Dela Cruz and Shohei Otani <laughs> on the same team? <laughs> Come on. It's just that one's just not. Do you see happen. what I'm saying? I know, I know, but I like it's fun. like having fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Milwaukee no. I don't see any advantage for Milwaukee. I think Baltimore is the funnest. They have a really good group of players. It'd be really fun to showcase them. And I lo- what I love about him now, because I, I, Steve Sparks, knuckleballer, broadcaster for the Astros, had on yesterday, I, I agree with him. When he first came up, especially now, it's tough to build your rotation around him. There's a lot of unknowns. He pitches once every six days. It, it's just tough. He's got to be in the right situation. But now he's more fully formed. But what we saw in the WBC is he's a damn gamer, and he's wearing to go, and that fits so much into playoff baseball to where I know seventh game, last six to three outs, here he comes. He's coming in. He's 100 miles an hour. Right? He's already hit two bombs, and now he's coming in to close the game out. Yeah. That's what I mean. And if he was an Oriole or a Ray, I mean, that would be exciting as hell. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I don't know that he could ever pull a Madison Bumgarner and pitch like 45% of your team's innings, but uh, <laughs> I do think he would be a threat to, to come back and, and give you like a two innings of super closer. Randy Johnson, game six, and then closes out game seven against I the d- Yankees? I, d- I don't think Shohei's <laughs> going to do that. They, they're, they're very much protecting uh, that $500 million arm. Uh, anything to look out for that you're working on right now? Yeah, a real fun thing on Monday uh, that I think people will really like. Uh, I, it started with Chris Bassett in spring training. Uh, Chris Bassett, I was talking to him about all his different pitches. He's got like seven different pitches and like what he's working on with Toronto, right? And he said, um, you know, one thing that people don't know about in the game is uh, that the mounds are completely different from place to place. And he's like, Oakland, Tampa, they're mountains. There's, these are mountains of mounds. And so I have to actually change some of the pitch shapes and some of the stuff I'm doing to mitigate the fact that my mound is different now. My favorite Chris Bassett pitch ever because I always called him the prey mantis, right? He's all arms and all legs, right? Uh, and when he'd come at you and that big arm, foo, and that slow curveball would come out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And hitters would be like, ah, they couldn't stay back, right? It was like 72 miles an hour. I've had so many conversations with him about that curveball. I'm like, you know that's your best pitch by Stuff Plus. You should throw it more often. He's like, I don't know. People would sit on it. I'm like, people could sit on your 79-mile-an-hour curveball and sit on it again and sit on it again and miss it three times. They haven't seen that since since probably JV baseball. <laughs> yeah. They can't time it. It's like an EFIS No one's going to sit 79 either. You know? Yeah, who's going to sit there going, blow, ah, blown up my 93? Beer league softball. Yeah. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. <laughs> 
So that's a, that's a long-standing disagreement between me and Chris Bassett, a, a, a friendly hey, one. Hey, what's the what's the rule on that? Because I know pitching in college, wherever you went, the mounds were way different, right? Well, but, here, but I mean, in big here, leagues, these are, are supposed we, to be exactly the same. They're they are, be, yeah, and they're no, not. Yeah, yeah, they're supposed to be exactly the same. So if we measured, if we went out, so if we went to Baltimore, Minnesota, should be exactly Arizona, same. Kansas City. So are they my di- piece how is about how much is this? How much is this is mental? Because maybe you just feel like Oakland's a taller mound because you look around, you got all that foul ground, you got all this, you got the cold air, you know that you you dominate there, so now you feel taller, and you know it's not actually taller. So uh, this versus you're at Fenway and everybody's right on oh, you. Oh, and Fenway was labeled a, 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 a flat mound, and everybody's on you. Yeah. And, yeah. re- and you remember old Detroit. And then James Paxton said, "I always thought Fenway was flat, and then I came here, and by my third start, I didn't think it was flat anymore." Well, how about old Detroit, where technically the and the, the backstop s- does matter. The backstop, what you're talking about, is the backstop. Like yeah. think about Detroit. Not only was it you were right on you, but the the extra deck came over the front uh, deck, so you really feel like everybody's on you. Yeah. So that I think I think there's a lot of it that's like sort of psychosomatic that you know has to do with a lot of other factors. Uh, but some of it's got to be real, too. So I've, there's, then there's a, a tidbit in there that people might be really surprised. Uh, I did find one mound that is different, uh, kind of. I'm going to ask Clay Wood, like, do you measure out? Are we to the specific letter Suppose of the law? I, asked, I did talk to some people in, uh, in, in different um, groundskeeping crews, and they said that supposedly MLB I, – I, they didn't say supposedly. I'm saying supposedly. They said MLB at the beginning of home stands checks things. Now, do they check the mound, or do they just check hmm. 90 feet, or what do they check? Do they check everything? You know, mounds also are pretty complicated. You're talking about a slope. Do they are they do they get a, a protractor out and get like is it the right amount of degrees, or do they just you know that's the right height, or you know like how how yeah how detailed does that MLB check get? See, I can see where the A's ours is because. We take the field out all the time for the monster trucks and the uh-huh. motocross. We have to re or concerts. We have to rebuild our mound so I can see where they. But if a place that doesn't really tarps it all the time, yeah, I heard a, a fascinating thing from um, uh, Robert Ford, the broadcaster. He was telling a story about how uh, the rumor was back in the day that in L.A. when they lowered the mound from uh, like eighteen to fifteen or whatever, like it, there was a there was like three to five inch lowering yeah. of the mound. Uh, Sixty eight. In 68, uh, the rumor was that in L.A., everybody else rebuilt their mounds. In L.A., they just chopped off the top, which meant that the angle was for the old mound, and they just chopped off the top, so it still had, like, this great angle. So you still felt like you were coming. Yeah, yeah. And so everyone loved L.A. because they – Sandy Koufax. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, – and then people do talk about, you know, just feeling feeling steeper. Some places feel steeper and some places feel flatter. And, and, and you know, these guys also can pick up a ball and be like – Different ball. And they were right. Fact. They were right. You know, they said that, and baseball was like, no, 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 no. It's the same ball. And then we studied it, and Meredith Will studied it, and Athletic had a piece, and 538 had a piece, and we showed it was different. Well, you know why they could tell it was a cue ball and slippery, right? Because their sticky stuff wasn't working as well. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. When I put the spider tack on, this is usually stickier. <laughs> yeah. Now they know it's on the ball. Uh, but they could tell millimeters are different. I mean, this this thing they work with every day. It's their equipment, right? Yeah, exactly. Why do you think Tom Brady in cold weather wanted deflated it, deflated it <laughs> yeah. a little bit so he could get better grip? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you have guys like Joe Montana going, yeah, we kind of yeah, all did that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, That sounds familiar. Right? <laughs> 
Kickers have a kicking ball. The kick, the ball that goes through the upright for kicks. Is not the one they practice. Is on. not the one that the quarterback. They have different balls, right? Oh wow, yeah. They want that one harder or softer? Uh, harder. Uh, I think I harder. Go, you whatever. You want they, more bounce? I think you want more pumped up. So. Yeah, you want it super hard. But the whole thing about cold weather and Rich Gannon talked about this former Raider MVP. Rich Gannon talked about in cold weather, just it's it's for grip wise, mm-hmm. you know, because like just like baseball, you're dealing with leather; it's tougher to grip yeah, yeah, when yeah, it's yeah. cold. Yeah, yeah. Look at all the stuff we learned on A's Cast Live today. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Hey, welcome back to the world. Yeah, we can now reach you. Yeah, you can call me Cody. <laughs> At what point were you like, oh, Cody's calling me? <laughs> I made up the whole story. No, it was <laughs> definitely broken. <laughs> uh, play the man's clothes. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. Coming up next, the Mark Katze Show right here on A's Cast Live. This is Chris Townsend, and it is summertime. You want to look your best, and I can't tell you how excited I am. Commander Cody, we've got our new shipment from Link Soul, all the summer gear. So whether you're playing golf or you're going out for dinner, you're hanging out with your buddies, or you're going to the beach, go see our friends at LinkSoul.com. And right now they have an offer where you can get 20% off. Go to LinkSoul.com. Remember in the big leagues, look good, play good. A's Cast Live continues from the Treehouse. Here's Chris Townsend. One of the greatest hats I've ever seen. Not this, but look at this. World Series Cheaters, right? How good is that? They had these out. Somebody made them, and of course, Major League Baseball stopped it. But if you bought it early enough, you got it. How great is that? Here is the Mark Katze Show. Time now for the Mark Katze Show right here on A's Cast and A's Cast Live, brought to you by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Check out their locations in the Bay Area, or you go to nestbedding.com for all your bedding needs. You're talking about your bed, your pillows, your sheets. He sleeps on a Nest Bedding bed. You're going to love it, too. It is the Mark Katze Show. How are you? It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a little while. We, uh, You had a vacation, I think. You were in... Maui again, probably on the beach somewhere. I wish. Can't we just do that? Like, can't we take like multiple vacations during the season? Isn't that nice? Yeah, those four days of the All Star break. But uh, outside of that, that's about the extent of the vacation. So, I, on the way up today, MLB mm-hmm. Now is in New York for the Hall of Fame induction ceremony. The MLB Network, their their main show, MLB Now, and I saw our buddy Raleigh Fingers, Ace Hall of Famer, being interviewed. And it just got me thinking about you because they're talking about back in the day, you know, Raleigh would come in and he'd pitch two, three, sometimes even four innings out of the pen. But for the most part with Catfish and Vida and Blue Moon and Ken Holtzman and they had innings. I was thinking about for you, you really have to plan every single game that almost half of the game has to be covered by relievers. For a modern day manager, what is that like? Yeah, you know, it, it can present its challenges. I think the biggest thing is that, uh, you know, you go into each night knowing which relievers you have available, knowing which relievers uh, match up well. Um, so there's with that information also comes that headache of, of, you know, going through these processes and spending that time uh, to really, you know, understand the game plan. And like you said, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, the starting pitchers would go, you know, seven innings, eight innings, 
um, and and not think twice about a manager, not think twice about leaving them in there. Um, and then you had the three inning relievers, the closers that went in and came in in the seventh inning and finished the game seven, eight, nine. So uh, the game's transcended a little bit, and uh, and you know we have to evolve. And and I think as a manager, that's that's our job is to. Um, do our best at, at uh, utilizing these, you know, matchups and resources. And, um, you know, they guys don't throw as much anymore. Yeah. And something that I've learned through you and also through Bob Melvin is, especially when I'm taking phone calls after the game and people are like, why didn't Kotze throw this guy? Well, there's sheets here on the desk that are <laughs> going to tell you which guys are available, which guys are not you don't come out to the media before the game to alert the other team and tell them, hey, this guy's not available. So only you know and Scott Emerson know and the front office knows. Fans are not going to know. Some some guys are just not available tonight. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, we get a workload sheet from uh, the sports performance group and our training staff that uh, dictates, you know, kind of their stress level, their workload. Um, you know, a guy could throw 20 pitches, um, in a high leverage, you know, closing situation, and they're going to tack on a few more pitchers pitches to that count, which you know it, it's fair because they're they're going to be more stressful than if they're pitching in a down game or um, in a game that that at, you know in the fifth inning of a, a, a nine two game as opposed to the ninth inning of a, a seven six game when when it's a save situation. So um, you know it, it has changed a little bit, and I think you know last night was a prime example. You know, we had a reliever sick. We had a reliever not come to the field because he was throwing up. So we were short in the bullpen, but yes, we didn't want to announce that, right? Because Houston would have had an advantage. And so we managed the game the way we did last night. And, uh, you know, unfortunately we didn't win, but, um, you know, we were able to get through that game with two pitchers, which is kind of old school. We got six from our starter and three from our reliever. Yeah. I've liked what I've seen from Freddie Tarnock. You can see why, the organization likes him, big guy, big arm, and uh, definitely a future, whether he's relieving or starting, he's going to be a big part. Speaking of the illness, you know, when you're traveling together and buses and planes and clubhouses, you can have an Ill illness run through, and you've kind of had that right now inside your clubhouse. Yeah, I think it's picked off about 10, 12 guys so far, and hopefully that's the end of it. But, um, you know, it, it's running this course through the clubhouse, and it's uh, it, it seems to just be a 24-hour bug where guys come in and, end up, you know, either vomiting or um, some form of a 24-hour a flu and, and they feel better the next day. So, um, you know, we'll see. Hopefully this doesn't last uh, multiple weeks. J.P. Sears, I think if there's one player that has progressed, because, you know, we've talked about 97, we've talked about 98 when you came in with the Marlins, the ups, the downs, good streaks, bad streaks. If you have one player that has progressed throughout the season and keeps getting better, that would be J.P. Sears. Talk about what you've seen in his development. Yeah, I think for J.P., you know, we got him last year from the Yankees. Um, we, we threw him into different roles. He pitched out of the bullpen. I think he made a few starts, maybe, if I'm correct. And, um, you know, he was more of a fastball carry, kind of ride forcing guy at the top of the zone uh, through his slider. Um, and didn't didn't necessarily have a ton of success, but uh, we saw some things that we liked about JP. He went in the offseason, worked on his slider, shaping the slider um, to where now everything is called a sweeper, I guess. It's the yes. new pitch. But, <laughs> um, and, and the last part of that process was getting him really to dive in and build his changeup and have confidence in the changeup, and I think we've seen that since April. 
Um, he's a different type of pitcher. He can, he knows that location is, is, uh, just as important or more important than, than having ride or carry to the fastball. He's been able to locate his fastball down and away to right-handed hitters. He's been able to keep him off balance with the changeup and the mix. So he's uh, he's definitely um, one of the bright spots in that locker room uh, from the start of the season to where we are now. You know, you think about some of these young pitchers, and even though they may not be comfortable, there's certain pitches that, let's just face it, they're better with. And I think of – you know, with Medina, his curveball, you look statistically, and scouts love his curveball coming up. He hadn't thrown it as much, but when he throws it, it's devastating. I think about Hogan Harris. His breaking balls have been hit hard, but fastball changeup has been a better combination. But they may not always be comfortable. So how do you kind of work with them going, I understand what you're comfortable with, but the numbers will show you're better when you throw these pitches. Yeah, we just have to keep, you know, meeting with them. We have to keep showing them the data. We have to keep driving at home that, you know, you've got to go out and establish this pitch or, you know, you're not going to have success. And the, when they hear that, I mean, it's, it's, you know, important for them to hear it first. And then secondly, if they're not making the adjustment, then the second message is hey, have fun in AAA which isn't a great message, but, um, you know, we, we want to develop them. We want to get them better. We want to get them built up in their confidence of, of, um, you know, utilizing the data and going out and, and executing a game plan. Yeah. That's kind of funny. Have fun in AAA. <laughs> that's, that's good. Uh, the young guys have come up. We talked about the energy that they originally brought, but then all of a sudden, welcome to the big leagues. And they're now going to start, they know who you are. They're watching and seeing what you're good at, what you're not good at. And you start to see some struggles. So what has it been like so far when you look at Gilloff and Soderstrom and their start here? Well, I think both these guys, if, if you're an avid A's fan and you're excited about the, the future and, and these young players and watching their growth and development, I think there's two things that stand out. Um, I should say one thing that stands out for each individual and for Tyler um, you know, the, the league is exposing him on breaking balls or exposing him on soft uh, and aggressive hitting counts. So Tyler's going to have to make that adjustment. Um, you know, for Zach, I think you're seeing the league's trying to exploit the hole up top. Uh, fastballs with carry at the top of the zone. And uh, so he'll have to make that adjustment. And I think both of them, um, you know, are aware of, of, of kind of what's going on. We make them aware. We show them what's happening. Um, and now it's an, on them to really be able to make that adjustment. When you go back to the start of your career, once again, 97, 98, when did you realize, uh-oh, they've kind of figured me out and that you're now going to have to – they've made the adjustment to you, now you got to make the adjustment to them. My, mine was initially my first 50 at-bats. I rolled over to second base probably 20 times and didn't understand how to hit a sinking fastball. Hadn't seen a good sinker throughout – my college career, everybody threw four seamers. If it sank, it was it was a running fastball. It didn't have depth. And so I had to make an adjustment when I went back and figure out how to hit a sinker. And, uh, and I did that and, and thus stayed in the big leagues in 98 and had success. Yeah, because that's a, the adjustment. You, they're always going to be making it. Well, you played, what, 17 years. They're always going to be making adjustments against you. Yeah, until the last year when I just couldn't hit a fastball because I was old and my bat speed was too slow. And so I was the, the cheating ba- to the, the fastball. The back wasn't. <laughs> getting beat by the breaking ball because you had to cheat to hit the fastball. Yeah, so, yeah I mean, I get it. Um, but, yeah, the league is about adjustments. And, you know, our young guys are, are dealing with that. Um, you know, when they get here, 
uh, if they have immediate success and impact. I think you look at a guy like J.J. Blade. J.J.'s made a slight mechanical adjustment with yeah. his hands. He seems to be more direct to the baseball. He's not getting beat by the fastball the last few days. So uh, those are good signs. Cody Thomas is very interesting to me. Obviously, we look at his age. Uh, he's 28, but he's a guy that is a terrific athlete. You don't go to Oklahoma and play quarterback if you're not a terrific athlete. He can run. He's big. He's got a strong arm. So in terms of baseball years, he's still really young. Yeah. Age-wise, he's not. What do you think about him as a player? Well, I think Cody has a chance, a great opportunity here, um, you know, to, to show us that he belongs. And, you know, for Cody, I think getting this chance and taking advantage of it, even though it may be a limited opportunity, um, you know, as you said, he's 28. He could make something. And we look at Brett Rooker and what he's done. And, and I think Cody could be on those on that parallel path with, with Rook in terms of, you know, just showing up to the party a little late, but staying for a while. And uh, he has the tools, like you said. He has the athleticism that you look for, the size of a big leaguer. And uh, now it's just about taking advantage of the opportunity. Jacob Wilson, let's end on this. The first-round pick, I was really impressed. Just kind of like the size, 6'3", interesting size. Obviously, you played against his dad. You know his dad. Just what did you think of the first-round pick? You know, I, I think it's exciting. He should be close. He's polished. He's a college uh, player. Um, he comes from great pedigree, like you talked about. His dad was a great shortstop. I uh, loved his actions on the field. You know, the swing is um, different. Um, the load's different. The attack's different. But he puts the bat on the baseball. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll follow him, obviously. And, and, and hopefully, you know, he gets off to a good start in his pro career and gets here sooner than later. Are you able to – were you able to sit down, really and have a conversation with him? Because very similar – High pick, you were high pick, both two great college players, kind of like we want to see us sooner than later here at the big leagues. Yeah, I mean, we <clears throat> we sat in the office and uh, David Forrest was in here with us. And you know, the main message is like <clears throat> the difference between college baseball and professional baseball is the grind and the physicality and, and the uh, workload that you're going to have to take on where you're playing games every day. And in college, you don't play games every day. You play four games out of seven. Uh, seven days and so you get a break you get a mental break and there's no mental break here you're going out and I mean the minor leagues have a day off which I guess is nice now on every Monday so they can go you know get a blow but um, you know I think that's the biggest adjustment for him and we're going to try to put some more size on him and, and make him a little more physical great stuff we'll talk to you next week all right sounds good that's the Mark Kotze show brought to you by <clears throat> Nest Betting go to nestbetting.com go to their locations in the Bay Area for all your betting needs, your mattress, your pillows, your sheets, you go to nestbedding.com. And that's the manager, Mark Kotze. That's going to do it for Ace Cast Live. We want to thank Eno Saris, Jeff Blum, Zach Geloff. Great to finally meet Zach Geloff, and obviously Mark Kotze, the manager of the Oakland Athletics, for joining us on Ace Cast Live. Tony and I will be back on Tuesday, ahead of the Giants and A's Bay Bridge Series at Oracle Park. No, we will not be there. Don't look for us, but we will be on at, at 4 o'clock on Tuesday. Chris Townsend standing by for A's Total Access coming up next. Mark Kotze, Zach Geloff, greatest playoff games with Vince Catronio, game one of the World Series in 1989. So stay tuned as Chris Townsend standing by for A's Total Access. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we'll talk to you on Tuesday right here on A's Cast Live. 
This is Chris Townsend, and it is summertime. You want to look your best, and I can't tell you how excited I am. Commander Cody, we've got our new shipment from Link Soul, all the summer gear. So whether you're playing golf or you're going out for dinner, you're hanging out with your buddies, or you're going to the beach, go see our friends at LinkSoul.com. And right now they have an offer where you can get 20% off. Go to LinkSoul.com. Remember in the big leagues, look good, play good. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.